Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Brainiac Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode because it's going to be a lot about storytelling. And concussions are quite unique because they can be different for every person and sharing experiences is a great way to learn more about how it can impact someone's life and help you support yourself and others when it comes to concussions. And so in saying that, I'm so thrilled to be joined by Mandy McLean. Similar to Dr. Hennis a few episodes ago, Mandy reached out to our chapter, told us she'd love to help us out. And I can't think of a better way to do that than by giving her the opportunity to share her story. So thank you so much, Mandy, for coming on today. Hi, Stefan. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Yeah, I thought, you know, I found the podcast, I found the work you guys are doing. And I thought that it was really important because uh, I think for me, I, I, the biggest challenge I had while recovering from my most recent condition is that I didn't feel like there was anyone to advocate Mm -hmm. for me as an individual in the process. And I felt I often felt that like, I was left to my own devices, both in the healthcare system and also in terms of my employment and uh, to kind of vouch for myself and say that, you know, like I'm not okay. And my, mm-hmm. my symptoms should be taken seriously. And like, uh, I, I didn't feel like there was anywhere really to turn for help. And I found mm-hmm. myself often kind of like not knowing where to go and then found yeah. a route finally at the very end. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, since I am an actor and I mentioned to you previously, I work in um, private home, childcare like so mm-hmm. you know two two heavily unregulated areas of employment um I think it's important to like find find it in oneself to be an advocate but also kind of yeah. like I think what needs to happen right now systemically is that the care for concussions and the care for and and the respect for like that being a very serious injury is something that I think is shifting but needs to shift further and Absolutely. I think you know, for me, it was really difficult to be, to be honest, to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some great points and really sort of give a good overview of what we're going to talk more about today. Um, so since I believe this is the first time we've had um, an artist, an actor on our show, <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit about your acting journey, um, why you decided to pursue acting, how you got started, just so our audience and myself get to know you a little bit better before we jump into maybe the concussion specific conversations. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's also something that I think is probably important too, because I I am not an athlete. I'm not someone that like, Mm -hmm. so I think it's important to offer a perspective 
that is, isn't someone that's in like a heavily contact or physical or like maybe construction work or someone that you think would encounter an injury like this, because mm-hmm. I'm not those things. And I think, you know, um, so acting, so I, I'm an actor. <laughs> I, uh, I'm from the East coast. I moved to Toronto in, uh, 2009 after an undergrad degree out there to study at Humber college. I graduated Humber college in 2012. Um, I've been pursuing acting in Toronto since I do theater and film and TV. Uh, it's a very difficult business. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful business, but it can also, it's just as wonderful it is, as can be just as challenging. And, you know, it's uh, an industry in the same way a trade would be an industry. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I tell when I, I teach as well, and the biggest thing that I tell students whenever I teach or coach is that like, as much as acting is really great, like there are very few people that make a living in our country fully by doing that. So you have to figure out things that you love to do that can also allow and pair up nicely with your work as an artist. And I think for me, um, that's always been working with young people. And so I work um, as a drama teacher and as a private childcare, like as as a nanny, to be honest, and like as a tutor on top of being an actor, And I think the two pair quite nicely because it, you know, it allows me to kind of like get my things out into a space and be Mm -hmm. silly and be fun and like all of those kinds of things. Um, But how those two things are both related in terms of a serious injury is that they're both uh, two heavily unregulated fields of employment. You know, I am a union member. Um, but you know, and the union's wonderful and I fully support my union and all those kinds of things for the, for acting, but, uh, there's only so much a union can do in terms of an injury that still is trying to find its footing in the actual provincial healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it, it was a very difficult journey of like being taken seriously and, you know, not knowing where to go to for help. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. You, know, you spoke earlier, a great point you made was that maybe someone wouldn't think that someone in your position would be exposed to the risk of concussion. I think that's a, a great point. It's a great reason to have you on to demonstrate yeah. that perspective. And I think, was... sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you, you go ahead, no worries. Um, I think, yeah, I think for me, whenever I tell people, like two things happen. So my concussion, I've had uh, two, two major concussions. Okay. Uh, my first concussion happened... I think in my third year of university, so I'm 34. So, and I, no, I was in university from 2005 to 2009. So I think it would have happened in 2006 or seven, mm-hmm. right before when I was in the middle of university. Uh, I slipped on ice and fell and cracked my head and had like a very serious hematoma um, mm-hmm. and a skull fracture, just the way I hit my head. And like, mm-hmm. uh, at the time, like that's about, that's like almost 15 years ago now. So it's like, the I, I can't do math that fast but you get what I mean like it's a long enough ago time that now in a lot of ways concussions are taken very differently and like uh it was my most recent concussion here was two three years ago uh in 2019 and uh I hit my head on the back of a bed frame I fell fell back into a bed in the dark completely mm-hmm. sober and people often yeah. ask me like, were you, were, did you have a few drinks? And I go, no, nope. it was just like a klutzy thing in the dark. 
I threw myself back on a bed frame and cracked my head on a, on a teak head bra- headboard of a bed and in, in the dark, not knowing it was there and like wanged my head really hard and like woke up the next day with a headache. Um, and like was thought that I was fine, went to the emergency room to see it. Like if, you know, there was anything they could do. They told me to go home. And two hours later, I will, I went home and took a nap. And two hours later, I wasn't able to see and like was having very serious visual symptoms. Um, my experience in the waiting room was that I was told, you know, like I was told by a doctor in Emerge that like, I was fine, go home and rest. You know, all we can't really treat a concussion. All we can do is send you home. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not okay. You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I mentioned this to you in my email that like, as someone with a mental health disorder, that's on my file attached mm-hmm. to my OHIP card. And he said, well, are you, are you like experienced stress and anxiety? And I said, well, yeah. And he was like, well, I think you're going to be fine. So immediately I felt like immediately it was presumed that because I'm someone with mental health issues, it was like, escalated and my symptoms were seen as like not real Mm -hmm. you know because Mm -hmm. because stress and anxiety and depression are symptoms of a concussion so it was like immediately it was put on me that like well she's she's just like her her feelings and how she's feeling right now are are heightened because of her anxiety they aren't actually truthful symptoms um and so I went home that night went to bed and woke up two hours later and like couldn't see and was having like very serious visual symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, Went back to Emerge and again was told to like go home and rest. It'll get better, it'll be fine. Had an appointment with my family doctor that week. The family doctor was like, it'll be fine, go home and rest. And it was like, I cannot rest, I cannot see, I cannot work. Mm -hmm. What do I, like there's only so much sleep can do. And I think the assumption the entire time was I felt like it was put on me that, you know, a lot of this is just the stress of the injury and that, you know, you're experiencing this because you just have to stay calm, man. You stay calm, calm down, yeah. go take a bath. And it was like, I can't actually see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's... Uh, so what happened is that um, my uh, vision was blocked. My peripheral vision was completely blocked. And so, mm-hmm the line of your vision where the injury took place, I guess I injured my occipital nerve mm-hmm. and like, uh, I couldn't see the, um, any of my peripheral or central vision. So I had tunnel vision essentially. Wow. Uh, and so turns out funny enough, and this is important to my story too, a colleague of mine within that same week hit her head on a window frame and had a concussion the same, went to emerge within this, a week of me at the same hospital. And because she was having um, speech issues, her symptoms showed up as speech issues. She was immediately rushed into care that was completely covered by OHIP. Mm-hmm. So she wow. had, she went to see a neurospecialist. She went to see like all these different things that because she showed up with visible symptoms, they took her more seriously. But because mine wasn't a symptom you could see, yeah, it was like we'll just go home and rest. That's, that's yeah, a huge and problem. so yeah, and I went and I spoke to my doctor about that, and they were like, "Well, there's no, 
my doctor was very supportive, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, there wasn't anything she could do. And I said, you know, like, why is it that this friend of mine, let's call her Nancy, that's not her name, but let's say Nancy, just for Mm -hmm. clarity's sake. Why is it that Nancy was rushed to like a neuro specialist in Toronto Western and I wasn't taking it seriously? Well, she said there's no mandate or standard of care for a concussion right now in Ontario. And it was like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, how do I, how do I navigate this completely on my own? And she was like, there's nothing to do. You just have like, there's no, you don't have health insurance. There's nothing to be done. And I was like, well, I can't see like, what do I do? Yeah, you know, like I was like, I, I don't sure. know what to, I can't work. I can't, you know, so I, I just started Googling things and mm-hmm. found, um, I found uh, a neuro ophthalmologist that I had a consultation yeah. with and she immediately she sent me to um, a rehab clinic in Etobicoke mm-hmm. that I found really helpful. They put me on uh, an anti-inflammatory diet. And then I, I started t- getting like vision therapy and the vision therapy was probably like, I think it was like $150 an hour visit. And I went oh. two times. To- yeah. Like I went two times a week for like eight weeks. Like I spent thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. i'm like uh and none of it's covered by the province because Mm -hmm. i didn't get immediately rushed into the into any care provided by ohip that i didn't emerge right so like it's all out of my own pocket and like i i remember thinking at that time like this is a very serious injury like why sure why is it that like you know, I feel like in a sense, again, like what we said at the beginning, if I had shown up as like a football player from U of T or like a high school football player, I think they would have taken me more seriously. Yeah, I, think, I think, you know, as a, as a woman sitting there that has anxiety saying I'm having trouble seeing and have a headache, they think, well, you just have anxiety, go home. And yeah. it's like, I remember even like having a conversation with the person I was working for as my employer at the time. And like, <laughs> And they, what they did in vision therapy, they blocked out the center part of my vision of my glasses with tape to kind of create mm-hmm. the same effect. I don't know if you're familiar with that as like a care, but to kind of like, it, essentially they explained to me that it was like DIY prisms. So instead of actually giving you a prescription for your glasses that have prisms, mm-hmm. it kind of like fakes, fakes your brain into thinking that you have prism lenses yeah. and then slowly with the vision therapy. So I had to wear tape on my glasses at work every day for like two months and I remember her actually like being like do you actually need to wear those and I was like I don't under like and, and I remember I got really upset that day because I remember yeah. thinking like if I broke my arm no one would be asking me if I need to wear a cast That's no weird. one nobody would be saying well probably it's just in your head and you're having anxiety and yeah. it was like you're right you know like uh you know, or like, you're an actor. So it's you're just being dramatic. And it was like, no, like, dude, I can't actually see you. Like, I think this is very serious. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember like, this colleague of mine that also had a concussion at the same time, all of her care was covered by OHIP. She got seen by the best doctors in the province at Toronto Western, like the neuro clinic at Toronto, like, yeah everything because the same emergency room she showed up and they could see her symptoms like they could hear like she was slurring mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so and because of that they like expedited her care immediately and like 
Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, like this is for a podcast, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be transparent. Like I am a white woman. I am Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And like, I can't imagine sitting in that emergency room. It's bad enough that my care was like, I was not, I I was treated a certain way because I am a a patient that had a mental illness, like that, that, you know, that's on my file that I, you know, have severe anxiety and depression. And like, they can see that in my medical history. Mm-hmm. it's bad enough that I was treated differently because of that. I can't imagine if I had walked into that emergency room, a woman with mental health with all of that in my file and been a person of color, yeah. you know, like I would have That's been treated. I, I assume then I would have been even taken less seriously. I can only make that assumption that even my whiteness, like I was not treated well, I would have been probably treated worse if I was someone that was like of a further intersectional identity. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think that, you know, if I had walked in there as a man, as a big, strong, burly football player, or like something like that, I think probably it would have been seen as more real. Or if I had walked in with like, uh, I don't know, like, like Nancy speech issues or like balance, you know and like but because it was a visual symptom Mm -hmm. they couldn't experience what I was experiencing internally and so I ended up paying thousands of dollars and like it worked in the end and like Mm -hmm. I have nothing but amazing things to say about Dr. Blanc and her therapy at her clinic because I don't know what I would have done without it but like it was outrageously expensive yeah and that's and that's a shame that you have to because there were certain things in place that prevented you from you know getting the care you deserved at first you ended up not only getting care late but then you had to take that financial burden on yourself when otherwise you shouldn't have had to do that yeah and it's it's i think that you know yes concussions are being treated are being thought of as something more serious now than they were when I initially had my first concussion in university. But at the same time, I think it's so problematic that we don't have a standard of care. And because it's an internal injury, we don't see, you know, like my employer at the time should have given me time off, paid time off, and there should have been paid sick days associated to my care, but there wasn't. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. in a, in a, and then that's just one side of my employment in a professional theater rehearsal. I, you know, came right up to the director at the very beginning and outset and said, you know, this is what I'm still recovering from. If you see me switching glasses, I'm sensitive to fluorescence. So I'm just trying to figure out like what the best kind of what, mm-hmm. what, what I need to do to set myself up for success. And again, yeah. that wasn't taken seriously. So I think there's like, yeah. So I think there's like this huge misunderstanding around this injury, especially when it doesn't have external symptoms Mm -hmm. that, and especially I think as a woman, I think Mm -hmm. that like, I'm, I'm, I have one card stacked again against me being female. I have another card stacked against me that like, I'm an artist and you know, Mm -hmm. that's my, my weird living is being made being an artist. I'm another card stacked against me being like uh, someone with a mental health issue. So it's like, I think all of that. And then, you know, take that even one step further. If I was a person of color, I think we've got to figure out a way to like, it, it shouldn't be, I'm the injured one. It shouldn't be on me 
as the person who's injured to be my advocate. I, I had to yeah. be. And I think that that's what I would offer anyone else that's dealing with this injury is that like, you have to advocate for your needs and you have to find someone who's going to take you seriously because probably they're not mm-hmm. probably most of the people you talk to are going to say, go sit in a dark room and take a nap. And it's like, that's actually not what we need in science has proven that like there is yeah. more care that's associated with this injury. And I think, you know, it's just people, people don't seem to take it. Like if someone was having an asthma attack, you would address it immediately. But if someone's having a panic attack associated with a head injury, it's again, it's the conversation surrounding mental health because we don't see, we, it is something that's happening, happening internally. And therefore like we can't assess it because we can't understand it from that person's perspective. An asthma attack or a broken arm is like really quite simple to address by comparison. Yeah. Um, And because again, like my colleague, Nancy, that had a concussion too, she walked in slurring. I walked in not being able to see like the symptoms are so incredibly varied, you know, and another, another person could have walked in. Yeah. The same night and like had no symptoms. Like every person's body reacts differently to this type of injury. And it's like, it's just like, we just don't know enough. And I yeah. think that the, the problem I have that I encountered in every area during my recovery, even with the doctors who were amazing, is that like, the, I remember once the rehabilitation doctor that I went to was like, we're going to try acupuncture. And I was like, but we've done that and it doesn't work. Like, I need yeah. you to do something else. Yeah. You know, like even him and he was incredible, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. like, it shouldn't be on the person that's the patient to have to advocate for themselves, but you have to. Yeah, and that's just right, where we're at. With an injury like like concussion, because like through your story, I think I've kind of among many things realized like two two things. And one is that concussion is still being learned about, and maybe emergency yeah. doctors and general pra- practitioners don't understand it as well as maybe they should, which no. is which is a consequence of just how new the injury is, but also maybe a bias towards not taking it as seriously as it needs to be taken. Yeah. And I think too, there is problems because it is an injury that's often associated with mental health Yeah, and it, and it is an injury that's also associated with vision and like, and things that aren't covered by provincial healthcare that it's like, because of that bureaucratic issue, there aren't systems in the infrastructure of emerge and places like that to be able to like really address it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like the political side of me actually finds that like incredibly problematic that it's like, we, we have a place like CAMH that's dedicated to provincial mental health care, but yet someone can walk into emerge and do a mental health assessment because of a concussion and be 10 minutes. They can be back out on the sidewalk. Yeah. you know, I, like there's the, the stigma of mental health really like shines through in cases like this. It still shows that a lot, although there's been a lot of progress, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So. Yeah, I think too. Yeah, and I think there's issues of gender that are involved. Hundred percent. Yeah, because we do see this as like a male injury. Mm-hmm. You know, like immediately when I've told people. <laughs> I've told people the story of my, of how I got my concussion and they say, Oh, you threw yourself back in a bed day. What were you doing? Mm. And it's like, what? That's, just, like, that's disrespectful th- on so many levels, but no, 
I was just tired and klutzy to yeah. be totally sincere. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, like it was just the dark and I was t- like tired and klutzy and like had a stupid accident that like really messed with like a year of my life. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, like I think there's, yeah, I think there's like, there's issues of race, there's issues of uh, gender, there's issues of like, socioeconomic that come into play because like I don't have health insurance so I think there's different Mm -hmm. things that I would have had access to if I'd had health coverage that I could have pulled from during that time and I think you know I couldn't take time off work because I had to pay for my vision care Mm -hmm. and if I had you know like if I if and I would have recovered faster if I had health coverage to be able to access that and care for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these are all things that are coming into question now too. I think, especially with COVID-19 that we're becoming more aware of this idea that like people need paid sick leave and like people need, yeah. and like everyone experiences that, that issue differently due to their race, due to their gender, due to their socioeconomic status. And I think, uh, you know, like, uh, my need for a paid sick day as a Caucasian settler woman in her mid thirties who's unmarried without children is like a very different need than someone who works at the Amazon factory in Brampton, who's a person of color and has four kids to feed. Like they're both, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's a, it's a very like, um, it's a hugely like uh, uh, varied issue. I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but like yeah. everyone's experience of that need is very, very specific and very different. And I think that will aid this conversation of like when someone has a non-visible injury, what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just think it's like, it's, I would have recovered a lot faster if I, if I had felt like I didn't have to struggle to find care. And I didn't have to struggle to like, and like constantly have to go, like I constantly had to go, but I can't see. There has to be something that can be done to fix this. Were the doctors or the people you were speaking to not believe that you couldn't see or were they sort of like, well, not much I can do, sorry. Every single doctor I saw before I found the rehabilitation clinic in Etobicoke Mm -hmm. um, told me to go home and rest. So it wasn't like a matter of, maybe it was a bit of not believing you, but they just, they didn't know where to go other than say, I think go they home and rest. didn't know where to go. I think mm-hmm. like they were like, we don't, there's no other standard treatment for a concussion other than rest. Is like, I got that script a lot. And Achieving I was like, 2019, well, like research was pretty up, was pretty like, I know, you know, but if, but if you that walk not, in, that's a part of the problem. Yeah, like if you walk into an emergency room right now, I guarantee you they will tell you just to go home and rest. That an emergency room doctor doesn't have, uh, like they don't have the skill set and the resources and the infrastructure to support this kind of injury Mm -hmm. at at all. I don't even think like a family doctor would because like, you know, like I don't, I think it's like, and I don't know what needs to change in order to do that. Like I found this rehabilitation clinic by like Google. And like, yeah. if I hadn't have found it and like, he was amazing. He wasn't mm-hmm. perfect. You know, like he wasn't perfect, but like 
he was the best I could find. And then I got hooked up through him to Dr. Blanc, Shirley Blanc at Yorkville. Um, And the combination of the two of them working in tandem was like what I actually needed at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And if, if I hadn't have done that, and if I hadn't have had a, a bank account of emergency money set aside, I don't know where I would be. That's a great point. You know, like I, I probably still wouldn't be able to see because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known where to turn. And like, yeah. it, I basically spent a month from the date of the injury to the actual first appointment at the rehabilitation clinic. I think it was a month of like, wow. like I went to my family doctor. I went back to emerge. I uh, went for a massage. I went to a regular ophthalmologist just to get the opth- regular ophthalmologist to check my eyes. And like, no one knew what to do. Yeah. And it was like, that sounds, that one sounds exhausting. And so uh, my question is, this is clearly a story about advocacy and it's clear that there are a lot of barriers in place and it can be really frustrating to constantly have to advocate for yourself. But how did you find sort of the courage and the willpower to keep advocating for yourself and keep going when it looked bleak at times? I think I was very lucky that um, I, I, sorry, I'm talking to you on my phone and a two texts just popped up. No worries. No <laughs> I worries. was like, I thought that I'd shut them off. And it was like, bidding, bidding. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
how did I find the, it was really hard. It was mm-hmm. really hard. Like my boss didn't think it was real. You know, like even my mother, bless her, was kind of like, I think you might be okay. And it was like, mm-hmm. no, like, you know, um, at the time I was single, my best friend, Leah, is is uh, a wonderful human. I've known her over a, oh, 10 years now. She, if I hadn't have had her during that time and her previous understanding and appreciation and respect for issues of mental health and mm-hmm. understanding of who I was at the per- as a person during that period, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. I'm very lucky that she comes from a family that takes mental health very seriously. And like her perspective on mental health that I think is, is I think the right way that we should all approach it is that if someone has asthma, they know their triggers and they know that they can't go into that barn. Or if they choose to go into that barn, they have to like take things very carefully and like figure out a way to like harm reduce, like harm reduction, Mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. And like, that's, I guess, yeah, that would be the best summary of it. It would be to approach mental health and like triggers and symptoms with this attitude of harm reduction. And Mm -hmm. like, because she comes from a family that feels that way and kind of that was her upbringing. It was not mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very, very lucky that she immediately was like, okay, what can we do? How can we put what action, what can we be action, what are action items we can do to make you feel better? What can we do to like, but then again, that should be coming from the healthcare system. You're right. You're absolutely right I'm I'm very lucky that I had that, but Mm -hmm. if I hadn't have had that, I would be in a hole. Like, you know, like that should have been, I should have walked into my family doctor and that should have been the conversation I had had with my family doctor. Mm -hmm. I should have walked into that emergency room and they should have went, okay, Mandy, this, 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 we're going to send you over here, go home and rest tomorrow morning. You have an appointment here. Yeah. Yeah. The emergency room popped me for Tylenol and sent me home. That's, and it was like, that's shocking. Yeah, it was shocking. And considering what they did to someone else I know four days later. Yeah. And and I think, yeah, I found the strength to keep going. I guess like things like advocate, like researching other people's story, finding, mm-hmm. you know, you guys online and like following you on Instagram and like just being like honest with people about how I was feeling and like leaning on my best friend, Leah, and yeah. like, her being like, you know, we're going to get through this. Like we had you, because I even, there was a point where I even thought like, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe this is just my anxiety. Like maybe mm-hmm. I would be feeling different right now if I didn't have all this anxiety attached to it. And then I had to remind myself that like, actually that doesn't matter. Like actually like that anxiety, if it is actually anxiety is just as real of a, tr- of a symptom as a broken, like I had to like constantly yeah. have this push and pull between myself of like, maybe they're right. And it's like, no, like, you know, what's happening in your own body. You know what you need. You've got to set yourself up to like, you've got to set yourself up for success and find the team around. Cause not everyone's going to take you seriously. Mm-hmm. No, most people are not going to take you seriously. Yeah. So you've got to find you've got to find like your people and your core team around you. That's going to be like, yeah, what can I do? Like, I remember mm-hmm. one night she came over and made me dinner. Cause like, I couldn't move. Like I was in that's, so much discomfort That's great. and it was, but, but like, again, I shouldn't have a month out of a major injury 
still not had a, a health practitioner not assisting me. Yeah, you're abs- absolutely you know? right about that. Absolutely. But it's like, you've got to find, you've got to find, because not everyone is going to take you seriously. Not everyone is going to see your symptoms as real. Yeah. And, you know, don't be discouraged by that because I think, try not to be discouraged by that because it is very discouraging. Try to remind yourself that like, we're at a point in this conversation that we just need to keep going farther. You know, we're, mm-hmm. it's so much better than it was five, 10 years ago, but it's like, we don't know enough about this injury and we don't know enough about how to have conversations surrounding mental health about it, that you just have to remind yourself that like, yeah, that person, my mom, your Mm. other friend isn't taking me seriously right now or doesn't see what I'm going through is real. So I'm not going to lean on that person right now. I'm going to go lean on the person that actually like sees what I'm going through and validates and I mean not even validation but like actually sees you and what you're struggling with a little bit more yeah and that's that speaks really to the importance of social support which has become a really big theme within the concussion research that I've come to realize more and more and that's it's a vitally important part because of its ties into to mental health and isolation at times like having that person in your corner is so important especially for an injury like this that a lot of people don't appreciate the significance of yeah and it's it's huge like I don't know what I would have done without Mm -hmm. having a person that was just like yep and it was really hot like they gave me things like at the clinic I went to they gave me like an app to track my symptoms they gave me Mm -hmm. like all of those kinds of things and I was like to me this isn't helpful you know like what I actually need is being able to go to my friend Leah and Leah to be like, well, you seem, you, you actually are better than you were a week ago. Mm-hmm. You know, you've yeah. got to figure out, you've got to figure out like, no, it's like, it's like acting in a way, right? Like it's like training in a kind of like, it's like not every teacher, not every person you have is going to offer you advice. That's going to be the right exact fix, but you've got to take, yeah. You've got to take like a little bit from here and you've got to take a little bit from here and you've got to take the support from your friend and you've got to like together formulate this, like, I mean, this is a podcast, so people can't see the amazing hand gestures I'm doing right now. (laughs) Um, But like, you've got to figure out this like package of like, this is the care I need right now. Cause Mm. not, and not any one thing is going to be perfect. Yeah. And like you said, you having to figure out that, that package of healthcare shouldn't fall on you. Not at all. It should you. be like, you should want, and, and I think that's a larger problem with the healthcare system is that like most people our age don't have a family doctor downtown Toronto. You know, like yeah. I, I'm very lucky that I'm a member of the artist health clinic at Toronto Western because I am a professional artist and like I have access to that care for that reason. So in that sense, I was lucky, but that doctor didn't help me with this you know like it's like I think I think yeah like you know it's so much of it comes from like just the larger conversation of access to healthcare. Mm -hmm. you know for someone who's like a young person living in a downtown core and and then that calls into questions issues of gender and race and socioeconomics and like maybe you work a job that you have health coverage so you can get in fast and like all those kinds of things Mm -hmm. and like it's just it's a very layered thing but I think at the crux of it the main issue is that like you've got to figure out what you need because this is not there is no like 
standard of care. I don't care what anybody says. Like anybody in the world can tell me that, that, yeah, that's what you do for a concussion. And I was like, no, like I had four professional healthcare practitioners working on me when I was during that eight week period and not everything one of them said worked. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's such a, it's such a complex injury. Like, yeah, yeah, so many things are going on at once and it affects everyone differently try this. Well, it's not working. Try this. And it would be like, it's such a complex injury that like, you just have to like, uh, yeah, like read and, and find mm-hmm. piece together a care plan that like, yeah, I think that's the right word for it, a care plan, like piece mm-hmm. together a care plan that like works for you and what you need. And if you yeah. need more help, ask for it because yeah. like, you have to like, you have to push for help. And like, again, it shouldn't be put on the injured person to be their own advocate. But until we reach a place in this conversation that that's not the case, you have to be your own advocate. You have to say, I don't like that. That's not working. We need to find a different answer because, because if a health practitioner doesn't hear that and take it seriously, they're not the right health practitioner, you know, like a really good health practitioner is going to go, okay, you're right. This isn't working. We need to try something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah. yeah. I think that's a, a great point and a, and a great sort of key message to take away from this conversation is identifying supports in your, in your life and then being an advocate for yourself because you know yourself and your body better than anybody and people may claim to know better than you, but that's not ever the case. So just being, um, again, confident in what you know about yourself and taking that to advocate for, for yourself is, is huge and not, it's hard to do but like you said it's, it's vital I think I also I want to make one more point that I also yeah. and I hope someone hears this if they're in the similar position that I'm going to just say mm-hmm. I, you know I spent a lot of time feeling really angry that I had to like be my own advocate and like yeah. you know I sat in the frustration of that rather than like right now I'm in a place, well, of course I had to be my own advocate. We don't know anything about concussions and like the conversation on mental health is still a thing in process. You know, three years, four years later, I can see all of those things. But at the time I was so angry that I was just like, why is, you know, why can't I find someone that takes me seriously? Why can't, you know, my, you know, boss give me a day off? Like none of that's going to help you, Yeah. you know, like, like I really strongly think that it's like you've got to like place intention on like really finding that care plan that works for you and let everything else fall away because what's the Mm -hmm. biggest priority is like you've got to address your symptoms immediately you cannot wait because it might take a long time to get them fixed and don't give up like I still experience symptoms today Mm -hmm. and like I believe it yeah and like and I say that like a couple weeks ago I was with my partner and I twisted my neck an odd way. And then like my eyesight started to go crazy and it was like, and then, you know, it calmed down and I had a glass of water and like I sat for a minute and like put a hot pad on my neck, but it's all related to where, where exactly my injury occurred. Right. Like it's so Mm -hmm. specific because of where I actually hit the back of my head. Yeah. And like, you know, that, couple day period I hadn't been getting a lot of sleep I was heavily stressed and then all of a sudden I was I pulled my neck and couldn't see and I was just like like so you've got to really you've got to 
address your symptoms early. Don't give up. Keep addressing them and keep working towards like finding the way to address them that works for you. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great message. Um, I think a lot of what you said can hopefully, you know, be listened, like heard and understood by those listening. And if people are in a similar position um, to you that you were in a few years ago hopefully they they can take a, a lot from this i do just want to be conscious of time we only have a, a few minutes yeah. left don't want to take too much of your time i do really really appreciate um you've taken the time to come on today it's been um not only a learning experience for me but i hope for for many others listening so thank you again for for taking the time to come on today no problem i'm i'm so grateful and like i i just hope someone hears this that like can you know, it gives them strength to not give up in their care plan of trying to get better because it is really, really hard mm-hmm. when you don't, when you don't have anyone, even a medical doctor, not helping you, you know, we're trained in, in our society to believe that they're, they're there to help you. And it's like, they're humans too, right? Like they mm-hmm. don't have all the information or all the answers. Yeah. And I think we see that after COVID-19, we see that more, more, we have a greater realization of like, the healthcare system actually kind of sucks sometimes, you know, sometimes, like, yeah, unfortunately, sometimes it does. Yeah. I mean, health, I, it's not, that's not a criticism of health practitioners. No. It's been like a terrible year for them. I mean, like the greater infrastructure, in general, of like in general, yeah. a- accessing care is like sometimes really shitty and like mm-hmm. really hard. And like people who are poor and people who are per- people of color and all of those kinds of things have a great harder time with those things than someone who is Caucasian and middle-class and works a job and has health insurance. So it's like, I think now post COVID-19, we have a greater understanding of what it means to access healthcare. So I think this conversation hopefully will look different in another year or two as a result. I hope so too. I hope so too. And just before we wrap up, thanks again for that. um, No problem. Thank you. Summary and wrap up. I just want to give you, the opportunity to let, let our listeners know where they can maybe find your work and, and follow you oh. after after this episode if they'd like to. Oh, sure. Uh, I am online. My website is mandyemclean.com. Uh, awesome. uh, I work in film and TV and theater and can teach your kids how to <laughs> pretend to be a lion. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mandy. And Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next month for a new episode. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, man. Head Check Health bridges gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on Head Check Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit headcheckhealth.com for more. The music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.